What is this anyway? A special conversation with my good friend and liturgist podcast co-host Michael Gunger this week on Ask Science Mike. You've got questions, he's got answers. Even though we may not understand, he'll talk anyway. You've got problems, he won't solve them. But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Ask Science Mike! You know, the reason there's an Ask Science Mike at all is because of a friendship I made several years ago with a man named Michael Gunker. If you haven't heard of him, he uh, kind of started his career as a Christian worship leader and songwriter. He went through a period of deconstruction, uh, which is when he and I met each other and started something called The Liturgists. And the most known thing The Liturgist done, does is a podcast known as The Liturgist Podcast. And I realized that Michael's never been on an episode of Ask Science Mike ever. And you know that this year, one of my goals is to have more conversations with people on Ask Science Mike, almost like Science Mike asks, (laughs) because I actually do like asking people questions. Um, I really enjoy listening to people, you know, explain what's going on. But this week, uh, the show is actually, I only ask one or two questions, and all the other questions are from... Uh, patrons of Ask Science Mike. So I want to thank everyone who sent in a question. And we got to just about all of them. I saw a couple of questions came in after we recorded the episode. Um, but uh, we got the vast majority of questions covered. Uh, so this is a, a look into what Michael's up to, uh, not just with the liturgist, but also he's got a book coming out called This. And he's also got a podcast of the same name. And uh, for those of you who are thinking about uh, what potential avenues of reconstruction look like, what what a post 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 everything spirituality uh, could look like, uh, I think Michael's a great resource. So for those of you, I've I've realized that over the last couple of years, um, the Ask Science Mike and Liturgist podcast audiences have diverged considerably. So there, there's quite a few of you that listen to Ask Science Mike, but don't listen to the Liturgist podcast, even though that show is is much more popular. It's got uh, you know five or six, sometimes eight times the number of listeners that Ask Science Mike has. Um, and on that note, Michael and I are going on tour together. Uh, we're testing two dates at first, uh, but we will hopefully expand that if these if these sell well if people seem interested so we're doing a tour called tabs and wafers and it's all about like our spiritual journeys post deconstruction as we've tried to build something new build community uh, build uh, spiritual identity have spiritual formation happen in our lives and tabs and wafers is our exploration of that Uh, we're going to do one friday may 10th in boulder colorado and then saturday may 11th in portland oregon uh, so those tickets are on sale now uh, to everybody. So you can go to AskScienceMike.com and click on the events button, and that will take you to those events. Michael and I, also along with our friend Hillary McBride, are hosting a small retreat in Ohio, California, May 24th. That's called Ken Men. That is a men's retreat from the liturgists. And I think we've got three, count them, three spots left for that 
uh, only because a couple of people had to cancel that event was sold out but a couple of spots opened back up so we'd love to see you either in boulder uh for tabs and wafers in in portland for tabs and wafers or in ohio for ken men all of those are listed as events on askclientsmike.com uh, and without further ado let's dive into my conversation with my uh, co-founder and best friend michael gunger also known as vishnu das although it's hard for me to believe there are probably people that listen to this podcast who don't know who you are <laughs> Because something I've noticed happening over the last 12 months is um, it used to be the Science Mike audience was this subset of the liturgist audience, mm -hmm. and they've started to diverge. Mm -hmm. So this is my best friend and podcast co-host, <laughs> Michael Gunger. Yeah. So welcome to the... This is the first time you've ever been on Ask Science Mike. I know. I'm honored. Which is really weird, actually. Um, and in a typical Ask Science Mike way, I don't ever decide what an episode's going to be about. Mm -hmm. The people who listen to this show decide what the episode's going to be about. So I asked people um, what their questions were for you, and in a very Ask Science Mike way, I haven't curated or shaped these questions in any way, and I will read them in the order that in they which they were on the feed, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> But uh, the main reason I wanted to have you on Ask Science Mike is not only so that people who listen to the show and don't know there's another podcast you and I do called The Liturgist Podcast, which is slightly more popular than Ask Science Mike. If by slightly, it's a, a multiple of listeners. <laughs> and that multiple is significant. Um, but because you have started a podcast that's not The Liturgist Podcast. That's true. Um, so I'm going to start with my own question because my therapist said I, I should start Whoa. asserting my needs. So this sorry, like audience. This is the third question you're about to ever ask me. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not far. Um, <clears throat> what made you want to start this as a podcast? Hmm. I'm coming out with a book by the same name, this Um on April 16th, and it's a pretty significant departure from my work historically. So I, part of me, part of the reason for the podcast is to kind of prepare the road a little bit for where the book is headed. So it's kind of, I'm trying to lead up to the book's release with some ideas with the podcast so that people, this doesn't feel just totally out of left field. Um, and I don't know, we talk about non-dual things and some mystical things and stuff on the Liturgist podcast, but there are times I want to go deeper into some of these subjects and it doesn't, it just doesn't totally fit the format or feeling of the Liturgist podcast necessarily. And, so, and if you wouldn't mind, yeah. what do you mean by non-dual? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, but, You've never encountered me in interview room. I before. know, interesting. Um, <laughs> you kind of interviewed you interviewed me for that's true the one wildlife thing that's on true our, on our literature podcast. Um, you're a good interviewer, actually. <laughs> uh, non dual is a term that 
mystics and sages have used, for, used from all different traditions, and it's sort of the same thing as talking about the oneness, the unity of all things. Non-dual is often preferred to some of those language because one saying oneness um, still kind of you can think of an opposite in a way like nonness or twoness or mm. whatever and within oneness there is twoness there is the sense of twoness here with us talking to each other you and I non-dual means that that the duality that we that we perceive and like any division in reality is not actually real, non-dual. It's seeing through the um, constructs that we divide up the universe with, or the reality with, um, to see how it all goes together. Mm. Okay. And so that's but it become a major thrust of where your book is going and yeah. The podcast, so for me, non-dual thought really helped, uh, helped is not even, the, it, it was salvation for me. <laughs> for I was a guy who was often stuck in my own head about trying to figure out which construct was the most, was, was the best, was, you know, for, I grew up in a way that was very religious. Um, my dad was a pastor and my career and family and friendships and everything was built on my belief and my assumptions of how the world is and how um, who I am and who God is and if there is a God and all that stuff was directly tied. It all went. It wasn't separate from the way I made a living. So it was like a really scary thing for me to question my beliefs, mm. to evolve in my journey because my journey as it was paid the bills and let me have friends and people that I felt safe with. So to question and look for the truth meant that I had to be willing to leave behind all that stuff on some level. So it took a long time to deconstruct all that for me. Um, Non-duality, non seeing how all of it goes together, seeing how my questions of, is God real? were intimately acquainted with and perhaps even identical with my ego story of, you know, I want to be liked. I want my dad to be proud of me. Mm. I want to be, I want to feel okay. I'm afraid. Although it was the same thing. That those, it was out of that that those questions were coming. So seeing... Um, through some of the really hard divisions of there's a me and I've got to decide if there's a God and what that means. And um, as all that kind of fell into infinite mystery of an experience of this very moment, um, I stopped suffering with all of that stuff. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's jump into the people's questions. All right. Evelyn had a question for you, and she said, how do you differentiate your work between the This podcast and the Liturgist podcast? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, this podcast, the idea, of the, which is funny that I didn't say the idea of the podcast when you asked me before, but the idea is to deconstruct 
or to, to, to see through the stories that cause us suffering. So we, we take a story um, so far, you know, like the last one is on free will. And sometimes our feelings about free will create feelings of regret, like, oh, if I only would have done this, things would have been better. Or shame, guilt, like, oh, I could have, they sh if they only would have done this, if I would have done this, and it puts us anywhere but the present moment because we assume that things could have been different mm. than it is right now. Mm. And that ability to foresee a future that's, di that's not fixed with our imagination is a vital ability of human beings that allows us to thrive and create art and civilization and religions and whatever else that make life so beautiful. Um, that ability to imagine something other than this, like here's a tree, okay, I could turn this tree into a canoe or to a guitar um, or a house or whatever. That ability in the imagination is amazing. But that same imagination, that same story of we can make the world what we want it to be makes us suffer when we really believe it down to this moment of I should be something other than I am. This mm. moment should be something other than it is. Mm. And um, so yeah, that's the specifics of this podcast. That's the very specific vision for it. And we have an element of that, the Liturgist Podcast. But there's, the Liturgist Podcast is not so much a view. It's not a strictly non-dual. We're not trying to get to a non-dual position mm. with the Liturgist Podcast. We're more interested in um, allowing different perspectives to come to the same table together, to have a conversation together through different lenses, art, science, faith, all of it, um, without needing to agree necessarily, but, by, but to belong together, to connect together and um, offer each other dignity in a world that so often robs so many people of dignity. Mm -hmm. Chris wanted to know, what do you mean when you feel like everything is connected? And how do you visualize or meditate on this concept? Hmm. Great question, Chris. Um, if it's a concept, it's not quite the thing. It's, it's actually a lack of concepts is where the experience of non-duality lies. Hmm. It's when the concepts are let go of. Um, which is why so many meditation practices are focused on just keeping your focus one place so that all the thoughts and beliefs and stories and thoughts of yesterday and tomorrow kind of just disappear into this moment and quiet down and don't stop spinning out into all these imaginary worlds that don't exist. You're actually present with the this that does exist. And um, so all is connected is a, is a way of talking about that which can't really be talked about. I love in the Tao Te Ching, it says the very first line is the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. So as soon as you say all is one, all is connected, you're already creating a concept of what that means. You're already abstracting reality into a thought, into your imagination. And so it's like one step removed. But it's, a, it's pretty good as mm. far as one step removed goes <laughs> to say that it's all connected. Mm. Um, 
But in reality, I mean, it's just look into your own experience. Look into your own awareness and your own breath. Look at, like, wiggle your thumbs and say, really look into that experience. How is that happening? Who's making that happen? Where is that happening from? Where are you getting the thought to wiggle your thumbs from? Where is the breath in your lungs that's, pump, that's allowing your heart to pump oxygen through your body that keeps your muscles moving? Where's all that coming from? Is that a self-contained reality or like you dependent on your environment? Mm. Are your thoughts, your language dependent on your culture, your upbringing, your experiences? You can't find anything that's actually isolated from anything else. Um, it all goes together. And that's one thing to just say. Um, but when you, when you kind of let go of clinging on to how you think the world is and your own ego's need for the world to be a certain way so that you can feel safe. Um, the, it's like a, just a common thing to say from, from the mystical point of view, those who have let go to the point of kind of, uh, they stop constricting their body, they stop grasping their hands around the ideas. Then they all talk, they start talking in ways that Jesus and Buddha and even even Paul said some things, I think, that uh, like, oh, I think he's had some glimpses here <laughs> um, of the wave within the ocean because that's the experience of like when you let go of that, they, you can feel how the constrictions that separate you from your breath, from the air around you are just stories in your head. Mm. Brandon wanted to know from both of us have you guys found it hard to maintain relationships with the evangelicals you were close to with before deconstruction do you have any relationships that stayed strong with evangelicals Ooh, it's so hard for me not to like throw these questions back at you because I want to hear your answers sometimes too. <laughs> um, I don't have a lot of close evangelical friends unfortunately um, I hope in the long run I reestablish some of those connections. There's a I have a couple evangelical buddies that are not again not super close. It's hard to I don't know that we we laugh now about some of those old verses like unequally yoked things like now and like oh yeah so fundamentalist. But there's something kind of practically useful hmm. about trying to have a relationship with someone who has at least a similar foundational view of reality as you do. Mm -hmm. You know, like as an evangelical, if your foundation of reality is this guy that's my friend is going to burn in a lake of fire for eternity because of what he's thinking right now, it's hard, it's hard and arguably evil <laughs> to not try to convince him mm. you know to like not preach the gospel to him and be like you're you're off track man you gotta you gotta get right because your soul's in danger if you really believe that how do you not do that for somebody so that's tough to have a relationship where you believe foundationally different things there are people that are that are evangelicals in practice that don't really believe that down to their core and they can have 
relationships with people that they don't agree with and not feel the need to convert them to hell because I think deep down they don't actually believe it. I think they don't, <laughs> I think they don't actually think. I think they think God is good. He's, it's going to be okay. I don't know how, but it's going to work out. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of... And I have some evangelical... And I think my evangelical friends that will be able to have a great relationship would have to be a little bit more in that vein. Just Otherwise, I don't... There are some disagreements, philosophically, religiously, theologically, that would make normal living really hard to be close together. And I... I think that's okay. I think you can still show respect to somebody um, who's, who's an oppositional mission for the world than you are. Mm. Um, you can still respect them, give them dignity, be kind to them. But sometimes a close relationship is just not going to be in the cards. Mm. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't know that I have any... I have friends who I was friends with when we were both evangelicals. Yeah. But they're not evangelicals anymore. Mm. I do have friends who are evangelical, but they're not um, like close friends. Yeah. They're like uh, affectionate acquaintances or... Mm. Um, you could get a coffee. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. A great coffee. I'm in town. It's great to see you. Tell me about your kids. What's going on? Yeah. yeah. But there's, there's certain... There's just some fundamental assumptions I have that are radically threatening to their worldview. Yeah. That I, you know, doesn't bother me. Yeah. Um, but it's tough. It's tough. Um, I mean, my dad's an evangelical, and we're friends. <laughs> I hear music, like superhero music. So that's definitely coming on the recording. So little little context setting. We're in a house <laughs> in Albuquerque, New Mexico, here to interview Richard Rohr for the, the Liturgist podcast. And William is here. And I think William is in the mood for really loud music. Hey, William. I'm going to ask him to... Maybe he's, the door's not shut. <laughs> Sorry, this is It's a real power to... move. William? What if it's not William? William? I'm confused. I can't even find William. I'm just leaving it. All I'm right. Just... <laughs> what so are you going to do? Bad radio, folks. This is, this is uh, I mean, I'll cut that part out. Okay, okay. But I'll leave the music. I mean, what else are you going to do? Uh, yeah, it's tough when you have like a, a fundamentally different... Uh, view of the world where they you know they're an evangelical person like you say like their main concern is like are people going to heaven or not and i'm yeah. like what's heaven what's yeah. what's hell what do you i don't and and when and when they're sometimes views that like exclude people that you love so like it's hard to how can you bring like a friend into a space where that friend isn't going to honor the humanity of a, a lot of your friends, like LGBT people, for example. Like, if they're not, if they think that 
all your friends are going to, I don't know. There's just a lot of, I'm thinking of like family members, I'm trying not to say any names. <laughs> it's tough. But it just, it makes, it makes it difficult to live much of your life around them if, if they fundamentally disagree with and think your world and your beliefs and your relationships are dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Calvin said, are you going to record an audiobook? Anna Alexander said, and will the production value be as good as it was for the crowd, the critic, and the muse? Like, damn. <laughs> Spelled D-A-Y-Y-Y-Y-Y-Y-Y-U-N. I'm, I'm thinking that I'm going to. I'm so hesitant because I know how fucking hard it is. Sorry, can you say fucking on your podcast? Yeah, it's market explicit. Okay. Um, you can take it out if you want. No, not a chance. I probably won't edit this at all. <laughs> Including you walking around and saying, uh, it's, just, it's a lot of work, but I, it is kind of what I do, you know? It's kind, of, it's kind of what I do for my whole life is score things, score podcasts and other things. So, uh, probably. But I don't know how I'm going to get it done in time. So that's one thing I'm freaking out about a little bit right now. It's just like scheduling my days so that it all gets done in time. Mm. But uh, it's I actually I've never heard the crowd and the critic and use audiobook. I didn't know that was. Yeah, there's like bonus little audio things in there. Like a, when I talk about a song I wrote as a kid and I'll sing the song. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Like pod, it was like yeah, pod, well, I shouldn't be surprised. Podcast. Yeah, that's actually. I think doing that is what kind of prepared how I think about the podcast, Liturgist Podcast, because that was my first speech with other things involved mm. thing that I ever did, is the Crowd, the Critic, and the Muse. So I think the Liturgist Podcast is kind of part two of the Crowd, the Critic, and the Muse audiobook. It's, yeah, it's interesting, because I, I like how beautiful the Liturgist Podcast is, and in so many ways... Ask Science Mike is a reaction to the liturgy podcast. <laughs> so, like, yeah, what's yeah. the most radically non-performative thing I can do? Yeah. Like, can I make a podcast that is in no way super normal stimulus? Yeah. And is like, I made Greg stop taking out all the ums. You did. Yeah. I was like, just <laughs> leave them. If I if I pause for twenty seconds, feel free to cut it to three. But other than that, like. Keep it, keep Stop it. making people think I'm smarter than I am wow. and more articulate than I am. It's just interesting. Well, you don't need a lot of editing. <laughs> I um a lot. I, uh, no, uh, I, I, uh, I edit you quite often. You don't um nearly as much as the rest of us do. No, but I mean... Hillary doesn't um very much. For either. a while, I never ummed. Yeah. And I had to be like, no, I need to um to sound more like a person. <laughs> so I trained myself to um again. That's a weird thing to do. It's what I care about. It's what I, I can't, you know, I just care so much about people feeling I'm a Safe. very special person, but the, they're special too. And so what I care about in, in the work I do is normalizing myself so that if people like lift me up in some celebrity mindset, how quickly can I like reintroduce the notion that I'm not only a person, I'm not even a normal person, I'm subnormal. Like, 
In some categories, in some you're categories, subnormal, but yeah. in many categories, you're... But if you average out the categories, I'm exceptional <laughs> with all the categories that I'm remedial. The average, I believe, will be subnormal. <laughs> that... <laughs> that, that's uncommon. I, I, I mean, I, I feel the same about myself, so... That's why we're friends. We, by the way, we're on, a, we're on a trip to Albuquerque, and... Um, we, all we've done is a series of, depending on your perspective, either excellent or really poor decisions. William yeah, just said, I, he's like, you two give each other permission in ways that is like not entirely healthy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, Denny's has been involved. 1.30 a.m. Denny's. Whataburger has been involved. An uh, edible on an airplane was involved. An edible. Which is why some of those decisions were made. That's true. But we didn't drive, folks. We didn't drive. We didn't drive. We were driven by a confused and uh, <laughs> reluctantly giggling Corey Pig. Corey Pig. <laughs> we had a great time. We did have a great time. Uh, Marcy wanted to know, have you decided on a name for the new brand slash band? No, is not the next yet. band named this? No. <laughs> no, I haven't decided yet. I am um, again with with the launch of the book and the new podcast and this new world of liturgists, uh, actual organization and plans. I've got so much on my plate right now, and the final tour for Gunger that is going to be uh, the end of April, beginning of May on the West Coast. I just, I don't have extra creative energy right now to like, we have name ideas, but nothing that is stuck and no plan yet for how we're gonna release what's next musically for us. Um, so sorry, no, no big news to, to break to you there. And we're just hoping that there's a lot more time now for Abraham's bosom. I've heard that, yeah. yeah. I think we should uh, make that a priority. <laughs> I mean, Science Mike listeners probably don't know about Abraham's Bosom. No, they probably don't. That's a band that Mike and I are both in. Uh, Mike sing, sings and plays bass. <laughs> and it's... We've got one smash hit. Like, by smash. the numbers, it's been heard by... It was, it's kind of a smash hit. Because it's been on the Liturgist Podcast and quite popular on the Liturgist Podcast. Right. And it's about... Uh, Abraham's, the milk of Abraham. <laughs> oh, man. It's our job, folks. This is what we do for a living. We weren't even, there was no edibles involved in that song. And we'll be back to our conversation with Michael Gunger in just a moment. After a word from our sponsor <laughs> yes. for this episode, Ooh. I'd like to tell you about KiwiCo. KiwiCo is an amazing learning product for children. The, the idea here is you get uh, a monthly box in the mail, that, which they call a crate. They're age appropriate and they're centered around science, technology, engineering, the arts, and math. And what amazes me about Kiwi Company is how much my kids love it. You know, I got a free box from KiwiCo as part of this sponsorship and our house 
we've got our kids are 11 and 14 and we're always trying to figure out how to get them to set the phones down and if we get them to set the phones down we hear two words over and over i'm bored and what amazed me about kiwico is macy's first experience that's our 11 year old daughter was building a hydraulic arm uh, herself out of cardboard and plastic syringes and it was not only participatory but it allowed her to really learn about physics and mechanical engineering. Hmm. The next box came and it combined science and the arts where she built a centrifugal force painting device that let her make paintings on a rapid spinning canvas where she built the machine involved and then created the art. KiwiCo is amazing. Kids of all ages enjoy it. And what I like about it is it shows the power of science to be something that transcends gender norms and gender expectations and normalizes arts for everyone involved. KiwiCo is doing something quite remarkable for listeners of the Vast Science Mike. If you'd like a free box sent to your house, all you've got to do is go to kiwico.com science and sign up and they will send you one completely for free from their entire line of art and science kits for children from ages zero to 16. I absolutely love KiwiCo and I think you will too. Again, just try KiwiCo.com slash science. Well done. No notes, nothing. <laughs> no notes. I just love just, KiwiCo from, that From much. his heart. <laughs> he just spewed all that out in one take from his heart. It's, I, I, I believe you. The, I'm they buy, the, the ad's supposed to be 60 seconds. I go like three minutes I know. every time I talk it's, about it. Uh, I, I, you sold me. <laughs> I also literally signed up. Uh, like, I wouldn't imagine anything less. Yeah, so they sent us one free, but then I signed up both our kids to KiwiCo. I just love it so much. All right, so back to the show. <laughs> William had a question, not William Matthews. Uh, William said, how has your journeys and practices influenced your, as in both of you, kids and parenting? Gosh, what a great, <laughs> should have asked this one before the spot. How do you guide slash build them on spiritual, for lack of a better term, matters? Um, that's a question we're constantly asking. You know, there are wise people like Richard Rohr, who, that's why we're in Albuquerque talking to Richard Rohr for the Liturgist Podcast, and, and I've heard him talk about how, how important it is for kids to be in some sort of structured religion um, for the growth of their spirituality in the long run. And I don't know. Um, we have not offered our children much as far as structure with religion. Um, we meditate at night together. I... Uh, we used to pray more together. We've done, we do it a lot of times at dinner. I'll, I'll do like mindfulness meditations about our eating. Um, I've taught some Buddhist principles to Amelie, who's our older eight-year-old. Um, they've been to church. They've been to this meditation center that we go sometimes in Los Angeles. And we're trying to figure it out. I don't know. Uh, Amelie considers herself Buddhist at this point. <laughs> it's just funny because uh, a friend asked, yeah, it's like, are you Christian or Buddhist? And she said, I'm Buddhist. Because <laughs> I think we talk about And then somebody asked, why? And she said, because my dad is. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. 
I literally said, I want to be like my dad. Oh, wow. That is sweet. Um, but, yeah, just having... The, I, I would, if she was leaning more towards Christian stuff, we would probably, I'd probably go with that. I'd be happy to take her to church if that was something that seemed like it was helpful. And, but anytime we've gone, it's not felt like it's been helpful. Um, she doesn't really like it. Lucy's four. She doesn't really have a lot of opinions <laughs> about if there's some toys there and some kids, she's going to have a good time. But, um, we've done a lot of com conversation. We're trying to stay open um, and go with it day by day. It, this might be the wrong thing. We might be totally screwing it up. As parents, so far, it seems like it's working really well. She's a very open child, very compassionate child. She's not opposed to any spiritual ideas or um, practices necessarily that she's come across, but she sees through a lot of them as far as, you know, when she's encountered some fundamentalist in-laws or something. Uh, and she kind of goes, I don't know if that's true. Um, made me happy and proud that she's can can think and kind of see like but if that if that's what they're saying then what about these people and you know she's already kind of thought some really good good not just about me but about us the global family and mm -hmm. I like seeing that in her at eight years old already um, so yeah I don't know if I have maybe in ten years I'll, I'll have some good wisdom to offer you about how I how I raised my one child, <laughs> two children, uh, <laughs> but I, I I don't know. We're taking it as it comes. Hmm. But openness, vulnerability, uh, and some sort of practice. I, I I'm that's what I'm. Those are my biggest values. I, I would like. I want her to be able to sit. For, for a little while and focus inside, focus on her heart and and do that without needing an iPad or a, always be in the external world. But to kind of be able to go inside and look around in her inner experience, I think is a, an important thing that she could take into whatever religion she chooses or no, any non-religion. Mm. Um, I think when I look back at the spiritual practices that I did as a kid, my dad would make me pray in tongues Set the timer, praying tongues, or the worship services that we'd have to, the long revival services, whatever we'd sit through. I think the the biggest value that I took in all of that was learning how to be still, how to listen to my own heart, how to um, be present hmm. to the moment. Hmm. Our approach has been kind of um, when they were young, just make sure they. Well, first of all, when my kids were young, we were fundamentalists yeah um, so my kids got raised in like really strict structure mm -hmm. and then we got exiled because of my rampant heresy so that led to a less structured period but we did try to find supportive <laughs> community for them and my approach has always been to share my practice so they have some sense of belonging mm. information, mm -hmm. but leave openness for when they say, like, I'm not sure I'm into this. Yeah. You don't have to be. 
um, and let their questions kind of guide their formation. So I have one daughter who's still pretty conventionally Christian, mm. much more conservative than I am. <laughs> and another daughter who I think right now is like, I don't really have spiritual beliefs mm. whatsoever. And I'm just like great with both of those. Yeah, yeah. And see where it goes. Don't, I don't stress about where they are spiritually. Yeah. Um, and their journey is their journey, not mine. Uh, and again, I could be totally ruining their lives. Yeah. Like, imagine hearing yourself say that a decade ago, or however long ago, you'd be like, what are you doing? Be a responsible man of, the, of God in your house. Yeah. And, yeah. and so to counter that, our approach has been, to be honest with them, that we don't, we don't know the single best way I know. To, to be involved in their lives spiritually. And that we're just doing our best, and our focus is to be honest and apologize and just see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Joe had a question that I think you'll enjoy. How has the evolution of egos influenced the universe? Is it, is it, an, is it an inevitable... Inevitable part of the journey of the cosmos, and therefore probably other parts of the universe, have evolved intelligent individual life with egos as well, or is it a fluke? What a, that is a wonderful question. Welcome to Ask Science Mike. That is a so, wonderful question. That's a, that's a very Ask Science Mike question. Now, if we go back to what I was getting at when I was talking about the free will thing, and we come to the conclusion, which is where I see things from, that our imagination of what could be or what could have been is never anything but us using this amazing tool, which is our imaginations. And so we can use this imagination to craft the way that the world will be. But when it happens, that's what happened. Hmm. <laughs> so like the ego has been part of, part of it, yeah. So that the universe evolves into an ego which continues to be the universe and continues to create, or create is maybe a loaded term, um, continues to become this moment by moment by moment by moment. Uh, so to say, is it a fluke or was it, it again, I think it all goes together. It's the, the ego is the universe doing what the universe does. The universe becomes the earth, the earth becomes a single-celled organism, a single-celled organism, you know. It's, it's just what's happening. So what has happened, of course, how else could we think of it? To think that something else could have happened, you have to use your imagination. You have to create a world in your mind that doesn't exist, that's not this. Um, and that, I think, is the source of suffering. It's the source of lots of great things as well. But it's also the source of suffering. So um, to think, again, of something that could have been is just fun dreaming. Or as long as you keep it fun, it's fun dreaming. Otherwise, it's just uh, delusion. Mm. And Maya, the illusion, the dream. Chris had a question about free will, but I think you just answered it. Okay. 
So Megan wants to know, how much mental space does climate change take in your brain? <sighs> I mean, it feels, I don't know why, this year, maybe it's just been the, the weather's just been so crazy. It's hard to not constantly just see it and feel like, <laughs> where, wow. Um, like it's not, it's not out of sight, out of mind. It's insight. <laughs> What's going on? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I definitely think it's at the top of the things human beings should be using our imaginations to uh, envision how the world could be other than it is. <laughs> this is a very good use of our imaginations right now. Like how can we make, make our civilization more sustainable? Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've gotten more, it's become like if I see a piece of paper, the other day I was emptying out a really gross bathroom trash can that I saw some things recyclable in there. I was like, Man, I can't, I can't just let it be in there. I have to get in there and get it out. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, there's a level of, um, it's always in my mind. It, it, I don't know what to do I, I, about it on a, you know, I do what I can. And I wish, you know. Uh, assume that I also could be doing much more, but yeah, it's a big, it's a big thing. It's not a, it's not just like a line on a, on a political set of, like, well, yeah, there's this and this and this, and then, oh yeah, climate change. No, it's pretty high up there. Maybe number one <laughs> for what, hmm. for what humans I feel like should be, and what our political whoever we're voting for, whatever the policies we're implementing, that should be at the top of the list in my perspective. Um, but that's not to say that I'm like a great activist for it. It's just I see that it really matters for human civilization. Hmm. Buckle up. All right. That's just a long, longer question. Clarissa, Clarissa asked, I'm curious if you know of any people who either identify as Buddhists or people from other traditions who seem to have some enlightenment or understanding that this, all capitalized, is all there is, who are also very involved in social activism. Mm -hmm. I understand that enlightenment can lead to social activism in theory, mm. like you say, our resistance to things like racism, patriarchy, etc., is also a part of this. But my impression is that many of the people who are talking about these things are not the same people who have dedicated themselves to dismantling oppressive systems by participating in activism or running for office. Maybe I'm wrong about this and just haven't been listening closely enough to the right people, but it makes me wonder, does being, quote, in on the joke, close quote, necessarily come at the cost of a reduced desire to fight oppression? Put another way, does a dedication to social justice require buying into the illusion mm. of separateness to some extent? Is there a good way to do both? Do you know of any examples of people who strike that balance well? I'm oh sure there are many gosh. I just haven't heard about. How do you personally navigate this? 
Maybe the practice of non-dual awareness itself is subversive to oppressive systems. And this context will help this question make sense. As a lawyer involved in public interest work, I have a tendency to get overwhelmed with all the oppression I see, and it would be easy to abuse the idea that everything belongs and use it as an excuse to give up fighting for change. Mm. I really want to learn to navigate this well, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. P.S. Thank you both so much for sharing your story through your podcast and your book and your music. I'm learning so much from you. So much love to you both, and thanks for your patience with this absurdly long question. Also, if I wanted to read something by Ram Dass, which book would you recommend starting with? <laughs> Wait, is her name Clarissa? Yeah. Clarissa. Will you please be my friend, Clarissa? I just like you very much. <laughs> that was all great. What a great set of questions. The, the problem with Assights Mike as a media property is the questions have a level of thought that yeah. an answer can never Jeez. deliver on. That was one of the best questions I've ever heard. <laughs> Um, it sounds like, did she get my book at a show or something? She was really talking some of my very specific book language. Um, I mean, every time she said this, it was all caps, so. So she, she may have she got She seems pretty in. Yeah, because I, I did sell books on this last tour, even though it's, the book's not out yet, so maybe she got it. Um, <laughs> but it's a great question. That is a great, all right, so let's. Um, let's start with the end so I don't forget that. Ram Dass books. Yeah, I really like his talks the best. Like on Audible, if you just search Ram Dass, I, there's like the original Be Here Now talks are really good or there's another uh, set of talks escaping me right now that I really like. Anytime you hear his voice, I mean, he's a great writer, but there's something, for me, Ram Dass is heart. He's like all heart. And so to hear him speak, um, for me, is does it does the job better because you get to kind of hear his his heart in a way that words can be limited sometimes. Um, as far as the social justice thing, and this is a big question that a lot of people were asking on the Buddhist series when I looked on the Mastodon questions and stuff. And as far as like seeing the perfection of this as it is, the connectedness of all that it is. And if that's, if you see that, how can you be a, a powerful agent of change? And I think in the book, I try to make an argument that that theoretically is possible, but it's a really, I think you're right, Clarissa. I don't know a lot of people that are totally at home with how things are right now that are super active agents of social change. But the, I don't know that many people on either of, that are either of those things. <laughs> I, think most of us are, true. I think most of us are just trying to get by the day. Um, you know, to, to have people that get mad and post some angry things on Facebook to me is not the same thing as being a really active agent of social change. Um, or to, to be completely at home with this. So, yeah, I don't know many people at all on either of those counts, and both when I think of, as I'm trying to scan through, I 
I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, it's, even, it's hard to also define and to say who I know is, is really doing those jobs well. I have a hard time saying so-and-so is really enlightened and so-and-so is not. That's not something that makes sense to me. Um, and that I don't feel like I have any ability to judge. Uh, I do think theoretically they can go together, but that might be a really hard thing. I, I do like how I feel bad saying Ken Wilber's name on Mike's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the first time. <laughs> um, but in, I think it's the future of religion or something like that, he talks about different lines of development of spirituality and he places those things on different sort of lines of development. So to, to grow up and to be a really active, healthy, social person is not necessarily the same skill set <laughs> um, as, as the inner spiritual life being healthy and whole and peaceful within yourself. So to have both of those things growing to be a person who is at peace, but also not limiting that peace by being a hermit. Um, to have true peace is a lot easier for a hermit. So to be somebody that's actively involved in the world like you, and to have actual compassion, and really do the work in the world, and to be completely at home with this exactly as it is, is a tension and a paradox. And to do it perfectly, I don't know anybody that does it all without probably thinking that they, I don't know how to say this. Um, I don't know anybody who doesn't ever cause suffering to themselves or others in mm -hmm. some way. Um, so your question is too good for me. I, I can't, you're stumping me a little bit. I don't know who to tell you. I don't have like a shining beacon of light to say, look, this is the person that does it all exactly as you should. <laughs> Um, but I also don't think that the kind of peace that I'm talking about with this non-dual thought is a necessity um, unless you're just done suffering. You want to be done suffering. That's how suffering ceases. But uh, to be involved in the world and to see that you're not, to be in, in the world, not of the world is a really delicate dance. Mm. And it sounds to me like you're dancing it. Um, and the fact that you're asking the question says a lot about your heart. And it, that's why I said I want to be your friend, because you sound like a beautiful person. Um, but that, there is a paradox there. There is a tension there. And the fact that you see that, I think, means that you're not off on the deep end of either one of those in ways that are going to be too destructive. Mm. Andy Stevens says, I wanted to ask something very similar to Cl Clarissa's excellent question. How do your very stages in the journey of faith slash beliefs relate to Jesus' teaching on laying down one's life for a friend, being the servant, foot washer, care for the poor and needy? How do you find peace within the context of the suffering of others? I ask because I have a sense of not doing enough or sacrificing enough for those who seem poorer or in more suffering than I. I know we are all one, and that otherness is a kind of construct. I just feel inferior to those who seem to give out more than I, 
By the way, this question is for both of you. And thank you both for your work and inspiration. Hmm. Well, you want to start since I've been blathering on? I mean, I'm interviewing you. If okay. You, if you need space to think, of course, I'm always ready to <laughs> deliver something that seems like I'm prepared ahead of time. I would love to hear it. Andy, I just get this in the sense that you grew up an evangelical, and maybe you didn't. Maybe it was some other conservative variation of Christianity. What I hear in your voice is internalized total depravity. Mm. This idea that you haven't done enough and you feel inferior to those who give out more. Listen to me carefully. You beating yourself up helps no one. It actually makes you less able to move through the world in a way that reduces suffering and creates peace. Mm -hmm. Do what you can. I don't do enough. So what I try to do is more today than I did yesterday, but also understanding that sometimes I have to rest. Mm. I cannot help everyone, but I can help someone. And I can help someone today, not tomorrow, not next week. When I see suffering, I try to think of a way I can address it immediately and then do so if I am able. But for those of us who grew up in the Christian tradition, we were told to be like Christ, and we understand Christ as this singular figure who saved the entire world. And I think we internalize this message that to be like Christ, we must also save the entire world. Mm -hmm. And I realized several years ago that if I were to literally be crucified, it would do nothing for anyone. <laughs> that if there was some powerful theological moment when a man was crucified by the Roman government, that that wasn't merely a social event that has been an inspiring story, but something significant theologically happened, it would not be reproduced by me literally being crucified on a cross. Hmm. That means when I look at how to pick up my cross as a Christian, I have to understand that that is a metaphor, that is an allegory meant for me to examine how often I work hard to support my needs without considering the needs of others. Andy, it sounds to me like you are already a person who considers the needs of others. So I would say start by loving yourself and offering yourself grace, and as you do so, then do the same for others. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I feel that so much. And I feel when you say that you feel inferior. Um, I just wish you could see who you are and how extravagant and glorious you are. Um, not as something that the ego can create not something like you have you try really hard to be great and have done enough you've uh, done enough good deeds and and said enough smart words and whatever um 
your very fact that you exist and that you're here and there's breath in your lungs is testament to who you are, which is this. It's all of it. It's the glory. It's the, the beauty of all of it, um, the perfection of all of it. And I get, I get the guilt thing, the shame thing. That was, that was the thing that tortured me most about my faith for three decades. And um, I think if you look, the question that I would ask you, who, who's, who is that? Who is that that's inferior? What is that story that you're telling? Where did that come from? The more you can look into that, where did that message come from? Where is that being reflected back at you from? Um, I hope that you can see beneath the lie of it because it's not true. Mm. Um, I know I'm sorry to go back in time here, but somehow that question brought up, well, I don't know why I didn't say, in her very question, she said Ram Dass, and then we're here with Richard Rohr. Those are two people <laughs> that I think are exemplary with this marriage of like seeing how it is, the oneness of everything, the non-duality of everything, but also being very involved in social action. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what Richard Rohr's whole place is called, like <laughs> contemplation and action. Uh, <laughs> And then Ramdas is like, he spent most of his adult life caring for sick people and dying people. Um, he had this whole, for years, he had this whole thing with fixing cataracts surgery, like offering free cataract surgeries to people in India that for a few bucks he could give people sight. You could give people sight. He's done all, he's been very socially involved through the years um, while also talking about spirituality. So, yes, it is. And I'm sure there are a few other uh, duh names <laughs> that I know of that are doing it both well. Um, hmm. Yeah, there you go. You and I have that same problem. When, Ask me specific people's specific book. I immediately can think of I that. know, me too. Ask me about an idea? Yes. Yes. But now put it embodied in the world as a, as a physical item or a person? Ooh, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. All right, uh, Aaron wanted to know, in your last podcast on free will, you said something like, imagine how much suffering would be alleviated if we actually thought we were where we were supposed to be. It sounded similar to Richard Rohr's Everything Belongs, and did help me some since I've deeply regretted past decisions mm. that have led me to an unhappy marriage. Mm. But still, how do you say that something in a truly awful situation, such as rape or losing mm -hmm. a child, is the point to alleviate guilt for past decisions, or is the point to accept the situation you are in? I don't think you, ha as far as what am I gonna do now, there's, there's a, you could take that no free will idea and quash the human spirit, that quash the human imagination, and say just deal with it, you're in a bad relationship, deal with it, that's what it is. That to me is not where the freedom of seeing through the illusion of free will um, has the ability to take you. Like if you, the fullness of what you can experience by letting go to the river uh, that is everything and not seeing yourself as a separate 
self trying to control it. That includes your feeling that you're in a bad situation. That includes the, the, your recognition that like, if I do this, there, there could be these consequences. If I do this, there could be these consequences. And following the best route, follow, doing the action that your imagination of all the possible worlds in your head, uh, that's all part of this. That's part of the no free, that's part of what is. <clears throat> so it's not ignoring part of what is to say, well, I have these feelings about what I want to do. I have these recognitions that there's these things that are evil in the world, like rape, like racism, like oppression. To say that I accept what is is not to say, okay, cool, let's just keep doing that. To, re to fully embrace what is is also to look into your own heart and say, do you want that stuff? Like, do you want to be abused? Do you want racism to continue? Do you want... If you want to fight it, <clears throat> and you want to be part of the active social change necessary to create the, the tomorrow that we imagine in our heads that we would love to have happen, um, that's part of this. That's part of what is right here. That's, so it's not a quesera, sarah, whatever will be, will be in the, in the sense that we don't need to act in the sense that we don't need to change something about right now or change our behavior from what we did yesterday to what today if we're fully present to this right here and now we're also fully present to our knowledge about what we would have like what caused suffering yesterday what happened yesterday in our memories and our stories and all that it's not that it just goes away in our memories. It's still there. You still have the memories. You still have the stories. You still have the desires. Um, and you can act accordingly as if it was a free, a free will, as if we had the decision between tomorrow A and tomorrow B. Because what else could we do? That's how it works. That's how this works. We have the at least illusion of free will. Mm. And, and it's the feeling of free will. And that's part of what this is. And we have to have that. That's a very important mechanism for human uh, humans operating in the world. So, um, when you're imagining what kind of future you would like, if, if it's in that relationship or not in relationship, I don't think you have to conflate that with, well, I just have to accept what is. That has nothing to do with it. What is includes your desire for what you want tomorrow to be. Mm. All right, our last question came from Leah. And she says, so curious about your relationship with music, how you write. Your songs are so layered and truly an art form. What does it feel like to you? Your music feels so connected to the moment. I get lost in it. Hmm. I just want to hear more about that process and how the journey of this has affected your music playing and writing. Mm. Very excited to read the book, Smiley Emoji. Oh, thank you. You have such nice people that ask questions on this show. <laughs> Good thought, nice, thoughtful. That's, that, that's, yeah, these are yeah. great people. Well, they, they, they follow a, a pretty good dude. <laughs> on their pod, they have good podcast uh, taste. Um, <clears throat> thank you. I feel at this point like music was my primary spiritual discipline for my life, mm. like 
that's what music is primarily what taught me to be in the moment. Like that was my singular focus for the first 30 years of my life. But aside, music and spirituality together. And they were married together. It was like a way for me of worshiping God. It was my music. But there was also a playful element to it. And so to have that playful element be brought into my spirituality, I feel like a real gift. And so glad how that was all married together in my experience. Um, but we've, we've never made music primarily through, uh, like we never had a big label that was telling us what we needed to sound like. We never had A&R that was like, all right, we need a song that sounds like this and it's going to work on the radio. And so we made music out of paying attention to what was happening inside of us and what was happening in this moment. Like what, what are we feeling and what would be fun to make right now. It was always very searching, searching our own uh, experience of the moment and trying to turn that into music. So that makes me very happy to hear that you, that the music helps you find your place in the moment because that's how we tried to make it. Um, I, I grew up in charismatic churches with, you know, like long, long, music sets where we're improvising and following the flow of the night and then I studied jazz in school. Um, so learning my guitar as a way of being in the moment and responding to whatever was happening around me and adding to whatever was happening to around me by becoming part of the dance that made the world better um, to me was as I look back, really what helped me uh, develop spiritually and learn how to be present and focused and, st and in, a, in a flow. And so that's the, yeah, that's how we've made it in the past. Pretty, even though it was our job, we made decisions that were not smart for a job. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're having some success in the Christian music industry. How about I stop believing in God and sing about that? Mm. Not good, not mm. smart for a business, but that was what was happening in the moment. Um, so I Mountain came out and like, I don't, you know, <laughs> uh, and sort of destroyed a lot of what was happening in our career, but, but then helped us find some new people. And, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm glad how music has been uh, part of the, the flow of our lives in a way that wasn't just our jobs, but it really over, overflowed into everything. And when you're hearing our music, you're hearing, you're hearing the moments of our lives as clearly as we can portray it with sound. So mm. but thank you for your question and your kindness. Where can folks find your podcast? It's called This, which is a, kind of a nondescript uh, term that a lot of a lot of podcasts have this in their title. I can imagine. So if you really want to find it, you probably just search for Michael Gunger in the podcast store. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. And when can people buy this book? It's available for pre-sale now, and it comes out April 16th. comes out April 16th. So uh, if you don't want to mess around with Google or iTunes search, you can go to AskScienceMike.com, click on the episode titled This with Michael Gunger, and we'll have a link both to this podcast and your place to pre-order this, the book. This has been a conversation with my dearest friend, 
Michael Gunger. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and I'll talk to you next week.